listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 18 through 34. When there is on the skin of one's body a boil that has healed, and in the place of the boil there appears a white swelling or a reddish-white spot, it shall be shown to the priest. The priest shall make an examination, and if it appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. This is a leprous disease broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it and the hair on it is not white, nor is it deeper than the skin but has abated, the priest shall confine him seven days. If it spreads in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is diseased. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or, when the body has a burn on the skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish-white or white, the priest shall examine it. If the hair in the spot has turned white, and it appears deeper than the skin, it is a leprous disease. It has broken out in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. This is a leprous disease. But if the priest examines it, and the hair in the spot is not white, and it is no deeper than the skin but has abated, the priest shall confine him seven days. The priest shall examine him the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. This is a leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin but has abated, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar of the burn. When a man or a woman has a disease on the head or in the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. If it appears deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow and thin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. If the priest examines the itching disease, and it appears no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, the priest shall confine the person with the itching disease for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. If the itch has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, he shall shave, but the itch he shall not shave. The priest shall confine the person with the itch for seven days more. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. If the itch has not spread in the skin, and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Shauna. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Who's ready to talk about skin diseases, guys? No. Oh, man, it's, it's, uh, it's good to be back with you all. Um, Aaron and I uh, took the kids down to Pennsylvania a little over a week ago. We saw some family, had a great time. Uh, I spent most of the trip uh, doped up on Benadryl because pretty much everyone we're related to lives with animals for some reason. Um, I don't know if they're like sending a message or what, um, but it is good to be back. 
Um, I want to thank Karen Pashadli, who filled the pulpit last week. Karen did an excellent job. Her message was incredible. Um, if you weren't here because of the fourth, definitely check that one out online. Um, she preached about freedom and race in America. It was perfect for July 4th. Um, but now that I'm back, we get to talk about skin diseases. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> uh, we're working our way through the book of Leviticus for the summer like you do. Um, and today we're starting um, a brand new section, if you couldn't tell, the cleanliness laws. Clean and unclean. You probably heard that a few times in that passage. Um, these are five chapters uh, of rules and regulations concerning food, childbirth, skin diseases, household mold, and bodily discharges. Who's hungry? <laughs> no, sorry. <clears throat> um, if you've been following along at all with this series, uh, either here in person or online, uh, this is where the book of Leviticus starts to feel a little random, I think. Um, we spent a couple weeks talking about sacrifices. That was the start of the book. Um, then it was the priests. Then last time we were all together, we got this wild story where Aaron's sons drink too much wine and blow themselves up. <laughs> and now we're talking about skin diseases. Like, what is going on here? Believe it or not, there actually is a structure to this book. There is a method to this madness. But it's the kind of thing that, like, you really have to know where to look if you want to see it. But once you do catch it, once you see what the authors of Leviticus are up to, it just might reframe your thinking about this entire book. Let's talk about this a little bit. I want to start out by talking about the structure of Leviticus just to kind of reorient us to this book. <clears throat> So the book of Leviticus opens, as we all know by now, with seven chapters on sacrifices. Seven chapters of like detailed instructions about these ritual offerings, these animal sacrifices that are supposed to allow mortal flesh and blood human beings to safely stand in the presence of God. All right, that's section one. The next section, Leviticus chapters 8 to 10, are all about the priests. We get the ordination of Aaron and his sons. It's basically, we're being introduced to the people who are going to be facilitating the sacrifices. The ones who are going to be the model of the new creation that God is calling everyone to embody. Are we following along so far? Perfect. Awesome. Then we get this clean and unclean section that we're talking about today, these laws about personal cleanliness, ritual cleanliness. Then it's the Day of Atonement, uh, a.k.a. Yom Kippur, if you've ever heard of it. That's um, the high, one of the highest days of the Jewish calendar. It's the day when the high priest goes into the innermost part of the sanctuary where, like, God lives and atones for all the sins of the entire nation from the previous year. That's the Day of Atonement. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. <clears throat> but then watch what the book of Leviticus does next. After the Day of Atonement, you get the Holiness Codes, a collection of laws about how to be holy, how to live, how to conduct yourselves in the world as God's people. We had laws earlier about personal cleanliness, then we get laws about personal holiness. Do you see the connection there? Then in chapters 21 and 22, we get another section about the priests, the holiness of the priests, how they're supposed to live and conduct themselves. 
And then finally, the main focus of the closing section of Leviticus are these ritual feasts, these sacred days, sacred seasons, these moments when God comes into our presence in a very unique and special way. If the section on sacrifices is about how human beings can enter into God's presence, then this closing section on ritual feasts is about when God enters into our presence. Do you see the structure at work here, the connections? It's this sort of mirror image, this parallel, where the first half of the book is basically reflected by the second half. This parallel structure pops up all over the Bible. We've seen this before, right? Like, you might recognize this. Um, The Psalms are loaded with this. This is a common structure in Hebrew poetry where, like, the first line corresponds to the last line and the second line to the second last and so on. Um, We saw this in the book of Daniel, too. Uh, If you remember, we wrapped up Daniel, what, maybe like a month and a half, two months ago? And right kind of in the middle of the book of Daniel, you get this series of stories that have this same kind of reflective correspondence where the first story is reflected in the last story and the second one in the second last. It's this mirror image. It's all over the Bible. Why? Right? Like, what, what is this about? What are they trying to do with this structure? I've heard that question from a number of you uh, over the past few months. What's the significance? What's with this pattern, this mirroring? What are they trying to say? The answer is art. This is how the ancient Israelites like to structure their music, their poetry, and their stories. We still do stuff like this today, believe it or not. There are still, like, repeated structures that pop up all over the place in our art, in, like, contemporary art and pop culture. Think about, like, every pop song you've ever listened to on the radio that for some mysterious reason goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, right? Like, why do they do that? It just works. Or think about, like, um, pretty much, like, 99% of all the movies you've seen, the Hollywood movies, basically follow the same plot. It starts out, nothing's really happening, things are kind of stable. Then there's some kind of crisis and all this like escalating action culminating in a climax and then a sort of de-escalation of the, of the action. That's like every, every romantic comedy, every adventure movie, Indiana Jones, they all follow that same structure. That's how we tell stories today and this was how the ancient Israelites structured their stories. One of the things we don't acknowledge often enough when we read Scripture, I think, is that these people are doing art. There's an art form here. There is a flow. There's creativity involved. The ancient Israelites loved this structure so much, they used it to structure their legal code, the book of Leviticus. By contrast, compare this with how our legal code is structured today. Like, think about the U.S. Constitution for a minute. How is that structured? Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, right? Boring. (laughs) It's like we're a nation of, like, robots or something, right? It's so mechanical. Imagine if right in the middle of the Constitution, you got a climax, like the Day of Atonement. 
Or like, like if James Madison just broke into song, like right in the middle of like Article 7, be like Hamilton, right? It'd be amazing. The ancient Israelites, there's, there's art here. They're telling a story. We read Leviticus, and it's this boring collection of laws, this legalistic, do this, don't do this, thou shalt not, thou shalt, but they were telling a story, and it's a story about the fundamental nature of the universe. With all that being said, let's talk about food, childbirth, skin diseases, household mold, and bodily discharges. That's never going to get old, saying that list. so, like, honestly, I think for most of us, if, if you're reading Leviticus for some reason, um, this is the part you start skimming over, right? Like, your eyes kind of glaze over a bit. If you made it through the sacrifices, if you didn't stop reading when, like, a fire of heaven, from heaven killed two people, like, this is where you start skipping around a little bit. Because who cares about skin diseases, right? Like, leprosy? We're not dealing with that on a large scale anymore. That doesn't speak to my life. Put some A and D on it, right? Um, all of a sudden, bacon's off limits. Like what? <laughs> what? What, is it? what? If you read this part of Leviticus two, and you're just like, "Isn't this the stuff Jesus got rid of? Like, isn't this the stuff that we don't have to worry about anymore?" Yes, that's right. We don't have to worry about this stuff. This section of the law isn't for us. This part of Leviticus was never intended for non-Jews, for Gentiles like us. But even though this isn't for us, I want to invite you for the next like 15, 20 minutes or so to enter into this strange world with me. I know we're not held to this anymore, clean and unclean. It It doesn't matter for us. I get it. But I want to invite you to set that aside for a few minutes as we explore what these laws were trying to do, why they were so important, and whether or not they have anything to say to us anymore as followers of Jesus today. Does that sound like a plan? Are we good with that? Awesome. <clears throat> Couple things right up front that you need to know about these laws, uh, clean and unclean. First, clean and unclean does not mean good and bad. There isn't a moral judgment here. Like, take, take the association you have in your mind of, like, clean means good, unclean means bad, and just get rid of that. That is not what's being said. Lobsters are not evil, right? They're delicious. Um, childbirth is not immoral. If someone has a skin disease, it doesn't mean they're cursed by God. The book of Leviticus never associates sickness or skin disease with any kind of divine curse or judgment. Not once. Clean and unclean, it's not about a moral judgment, good and bad. It is about making distinctions and setting boundaries. Distinctions and boundaries. Think like, think in terms of like, for you, not for you. Accessible, off limits. Or like we say it to a kid, like touch. Don't touch, right? Like, that, that's what's being said. That is what clean and unclean is all about. Now, there are some practical reasons that you might want to establish some boundaries, right? Like, boundaries can be healthy. Limits, distinctions can be a good thing. Like, um, how many of us have ever gone camping with children? Anyone here? Yeah, so you know about this. You know all about this. You know about the importance of distinctions. Let's say that, like, 
Let's say you go camping with your family and like three other families. All right, so you've got adults, you've got kids, you've got animals, there's like wild animals, maybe you brought a couple dogs or something like that. Um, you get to the campsite and like the only campsites you can get next to each other are all by the bathroom, right? Like how many people, how many folks like in a situation like that you just thrive, you take charge? Anybody? Anyone on that? Not so much? I, I, I don't camp much, but I'd like to think that in that situation I would be like, okay, the tents go here. The food goes over here. Don't leave the food out because there's bears, right? Um, the bathrooms are over there. Uh, Bob and Wendy, you're on kid duty. Uh, those plants over there look like um, uh, leaves of three. What's it called? Poison ivy? Looks like poison ivy, so leave it alone. Um, Johnny here already has poison ivy, and we've been here for five minutes, right? Like, distinctions, right? Boundaries. <clears throat> it can be a good thing. Clean and unclean. Take that experience of camping with a handful of families, do it for 40 years with 2 million people, and you get the book of Leviticus. Like, that's how this works. Now, as important as the practical stuff, the practical side of this is, and as, like, as tempting as it might be for us to just reduce this all down to the practical, there's more to it than that. There are some profound spiritual insights embedded in clean and unclean, all this talk of boils and rashes. Because remember, this is a story about the nature of the universe, God and creation. So with the time we have left, I want to talk about two specific spiritual insights we can glean from this part of Leviticus. There are more. We'll get into some of the others next week. But for now, I want to highlight two big picture ideas. The first is to respect the boundaries between life and death. Here's the list again. <clears throat> Food, childbirth, skin diseases, household mold, and bodily discharges. It seems like a, a random assortment, right? But all these topics have to do with the intersection of life and death on at least some level. Food is our sustenance, right? It's our fuel. If you don't eat, you die. But if you eat the wrong thing, if you eat uh, food that's poisoned or diseased or that wasn't prepared well, like, you can get sick. You can die. This stuff is serious. When a woman gives birth, that's like a beautiful moment. It's sacred. There's a new life coming into being. There's also a lot of blood, right? There's a lot of bodily fluids. It's dangerous. Survival rates for women during childbirth were not great in the ancient world. Life and death. All these laws about blisters and rashes, bodily discharges, white hairs, these are about what God's people are supposed to do when the forces of life intermingle with the forces of death. When the boundaries between life and death get blurry, proceed with caution. When life and death start to overlap and intersect each other, slow down and pay attention. That's what the text is telling us, big picture. Because remember, the Israelites, these people, they are supposed to be a people of life. 
God has just delivered these people from slavery in Egypt, right? They are supposed to be a people about life, human flourishing, liberation. Egypt was not about that. Life in Egypt was not good. This uh, distinction between life and death was not always respected. Sure, like some lives were treated as if they had value. Some lives mattered if you were rich, if you were at the top. But other lives were treated as disposable. Have appropriate reverence for the forces of life and death. This line between life and death, it's not something that we encounter that much in like visceral ways. Not anymore in our society. We've really kind of sterilized things. We've taken like any signs of like death and decay and just moved it out of public view. It's different in like times of national tragedy or like crisis. You know, then all of a sudden we start using like sacred language. We have a vigil or something like that. But in general, when it comes to life and death, we are not paying very close attention. We read about lives being lost to poverty and to gun violence, and it's a statistic. It's a headline. It doesn't affect us as deeply as it should. But imagine for a minute, imagine if our awareness of these forces, if like the sacredness of life was something we cultivated every day. Imagine if we had some rituals and some practices, how different our conversations would be around topics like guns and violence and poverty and health care. Respect the boundaries between life and death because you are a people of life. That's one spiritual insight we can draw from this. A second is this one. When you're dealing with new creation, the distinctions matter. The details matter. Remember, God is making something new here. That's kind of like the big picture story of the entire Bible. God is looking for a body. God's looking for a people to live among, to dwell within with the hope that those people are then going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. God is looking for a body. But if this is going to happen, if this is going to work, these people need to become a new creation. The Israelites need to unlearn some of what they learned in Egypt. Do we have any creative types here? Any like artists, people who like to make things, create things, build things, take them apart, stuff like that? A few. Any creative endeavor begins by making distinctions. We're going to do it this way, not that way. Uh, We're going to write this song in B-flat major. I think that's a thing. I'm a drummer. (laughs) Right? Like, pick a key. Um, We're going to paint the bedroom blue. We're going to start the construction on this block, right? Distinctions. If you write a song in one key, you don't shift randomly to another key. If you're painting a still life, you don't approach that exactly the same way as painting a portrait. This way, not that way. Clean and unclean. Any creative endeavor has some of this. There is something godly, divine even, in our human knack for creating things through distinctions. 
this, not that. Think about the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1. It always comes back to Genesis 1. When God makes the world, God does it by making distinctions. Light and dark. Sky and water. Land and sea. Order from chaos. God is making a new creation, and the distinctions matter. This isn't legalism. This isn't about following the right rules and like checking the right boxes to try to earn something, to try to like earn salvation. That's not what's happening here. This is about discipleship and formation. Making the right distinctions in your life to become a new creation. I'm going to live in this way, not that way. There are some patterns I'm going to set aside. There are some habits I'm going to move beyond. I'm going to pattern my life after Christ, not some other example. What are the things in your life that distinguish you as a follower of Jesus, that make you stand out, that make you look different, sound different, maybe even think differently? Maybe it's that, the way you interact with that neighbor or that coworker who is just a pain in the butt. <laughs> Maybe um, it's the way you parent and raise your children. Maybe it's your priorities, the way you invest your time and your money. Maybe it's the way you interact with people who come to you for help. Where are you embodying the life-honoring grace and mercy of Christ in your life? I'll be perfectly honest, there are days when I don't know how to answer that question. Like, it really depends on the day. Sometimes it depends on the hour. Sometimes I look at my life and it doesn't look anything like Jesus. If you're there, if you, like, if you don't know how or even if your life looks different from anyone else's, a helpful tip is to start looking for the distinctions you need to make in your life. I'm not going to go to those websites anymore. I'm not going to consume this type of media, maybe cable news or something like that, because I don't like the kind of person I am when I'm imbibing this. I'm not going to hold on to this bitterness I've been carrying on to anymore. I'm not going to engage in that destructive behavior. Maybe it's time to carve out some sacred space in your life to set some boundaries of time to try a few new practices. I'm going to take that half hour at the end of the night where I'm usually scrolling through Facebook mindlessly, and I'm going to try reading one of the Gospels. Or I'm going to get up a half hour earlier, and I'm going to have some quiet time, some time to journal, just me, God, and some coffee. I started seeing a spiritual director a couple months ago. He's got me taking five minutes every day to just be silent and listen to God. <clears throat> His exact words to me were, Dan, you talk an awful lot. <laughs> I want you to take five minutes a day and just shut up. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you. There are some days when that five minutes are the, more, are the most Christ-like I feel all day. I think what happens sometimes is we get so comfortable with grace that we stunt our own formation. 
Like, we're all about that grace thing here at Brockport First Baptist, and that's amazing. Grace is amazing. The song is correct. We are saved by grace. There is nothing you can do to earn this stuff, nothing you can do to earn God's love or salvation. It's a gift. But even with all the grace in the world, sometimes you just have to shut up for five minutes, right? If you want to become a new creation, if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to tackle some destructive habit or pattern in your life, you need the Holy Spirit and you need new habits. Distinctions to help distinguish the new you from the old you. This, not that. For you, not for you. Clean and unclean. For the Israelites, it was food, fungus, bodily discharges, and two other things I can't remember. (laughs) Childbirth and something else. It was a different time. But what sacred distinctions is God calling you to make in your life? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for calling us to be your people and to follow in your ways. God, we ask that you'd give us hearts that long to be more like you and to follow the example of your Son. Give us wisdom, Lord, to discern the sacred distinctions that we need to be setting in our own lives. And God, may those distinctions lead us to love you more deeply. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.